0: So, I wanted to start out today um, by sharing an account from my life that happened a couple of weeks ago. Uh, for those of you that know the ultimate human race, um, some of you may know it as the comrades. I no longer call it the comrades, I call it the ultimate human race. Um, I, I, um, I'm not a runner, um, and uh, still not a runner. Uh, people ask me, to, you know, do you love running? I, st- I still hate it. Um, I hate it even more after the ultimate human race. Um, but. At the beginning of the year, I had this idea that maybe I could have a go at this this thing, um, and I had not done a half marathon or a full marathon, and so in the beginning of the year, I set out to do a 21K and then a 42K, and I was meant to do a, a um, what do they call it, an ultra marathon, a 56, but then I Ended up getting injured. I got what's commonly known as a runner's injury, RTB. And so for about two and a half months, I was off the road, very frustratingly, trying to get back on the road and getting injured, and back on the road and then getting injured. Um, And about three weeks before this ultimate human race, um, I quit. I was like, I'm out. Like, this is dumb. Like, there's no ways. I'm I'm undercooked on the training. I'm not even a runner. Like, it's not something that comes naturally to me. Like, there's always next year. And so I messaged Justin, my bio, and I messaged Dave, my friend I was running with. And I'm like, dude, sorry to let you down, but I'm out. I quit. It's done. I'm not doing it. Then the next day, I I re-entered. Um... (laughs) Only because, I will tell you this, that someone who runs with me saw me um, and said, um, I will never look at you the same again, Um, and uh, you will be a failure to me if you don't arrive at the start line. And if you know, my wiring competition runs deep, um, and I don't like being a failure to anyone, and so I'm like, I am signing up, I'll run the Comrades today. Um... And so I messaged Justin and Dave, I'm, I'm in, I'm back in, I'm running this thing, I'm gonna do it in six hours. Um, and and then about two days later, after making the decision to get back in this stupid, ultimate human race, um, I get sick, uh, which I think is gonna be two or three days and then back on my feet, because I need to get running this two or three weeks to go until this ultimate human race. This sickness just lags on, like I just can't like shake this cold, like right up until it gets to like, you know, D-Day where you're like, you really shouldn't run if you're sick. Anyways, I started to feel semi-better, um, and I arrived at the start line, and it was everything that everybody had told me. Like, it was all the cheers, it was all the gs, it was like, the vibe was there, Everybody singing the national anthem, and like, I'm there, and you know, most people get butterflies, I got hearty dolls. Like, it is like... <laughs> it is is everything i got a video just to, i took loads but i'll show you just one of everybody singing social sure at the beginning of the race here yeah, it's going to pop up on the screen now <laughs> It, it was it was worth entering just to get to the start line and uh, the first 20 25 K's honestly I felt like I was running on clouds like there was such a vibe there was such an energy and at about 26 27 K's I get this cramp in my left thigh and uh, I haven't cramped uh, before on a run and uh, I hit all the panics, because I'm like, sure, but in the back of my mind, I'm remembering somebody telling me, like, the one thing you don't recover from on the comrades is cramp, and so I do, as I did the entire way to this build-up, about uh, an amateur move, and I gotta stretch my thigh, and my hamstring just, like, completely goes, you know, when it goes into that ball, where you're like, I don't know if I'm ever gonna come out of that, like, and so I then end up, kind of, hobbling for the next three Ks run until I feel like my thigh is going to kind of seize and then walk and run and walk. And I had a friend who's going to second us and Chris who sees me at 30 Ks and I'm like, bro, just give me, give me rehydrate, give me salt tablets. i take two salt tablets because I'm obviously a doctor just diagnosing and um, getting it all wrong, and I take two salt tablets, and I think two's not enough, four, and I put one extra in just for extra measure, take a rehydrate, which I don't know about you, but those things make me feel not so like at the, the best of times. And so about two k's later, after hobbling through five k's of cramp, I start to throw up, like, and I'm telling you, like, I'm throwing up everything that was in me, and, um, and I throw up for the next 30 k's, Um, all the way up until kind of Winston Park. I only stopped throwing up there because there's nothing left. Like, it's not that I'm not nauseous. Like, I'm extremely nauseous. And running all the way like down in Chunga and up Boaters Hill, like, I'm losing like immense, immense amount of time. Um, And uh, I come through Hillcrest and Kloof, and just public apology to anyone I saw there. Um, Like, I just had to do everything, not to show you all sorts of signs I I was feeling Um, and so I just kind of waved and head down and God's sense of humor the 12-hour bus goes past me at Hillcrest and I think there's a, a second there might have been more but the second and last one went past me right here at Open Skies Church and I'm like so we continue to run through, and um, I come down Fields Hill. And, and, and running down in Changa, um, I had uh, started to get shin splints, which I've never got before. Um, and so going down Fields Hill, I actually thought, don't look down, because I thought my shin had burst through my skin. Um, and I'm still feeling nauseous. From 45 Ks, I, I couldn't put anything else into my body. I was just feeling, like, exceptionally nauseous. Um, and go down Fields Hill, and I see this, like, unofficial bus of about 30 guys. And I'm like, I need to go with these guys. Like there's a coach there that's kind of coaching them through it. And um, I kind of get into the middle of this bus and, um, and I just think to myself, if I stay with these guys I'll make it like you just got to stay with these guys they have trained this is the coach he's gonna make so if I stay with these guys and so for the next 20 odd k's, about two and a half hours of running it felt like a thousand deaths because every time they walked I felt like it was heaven every time they run I felt like it was hell but I had to make decisions based off of somebody else's let's go and so you'd have this deep dive of like I can't but I have to and so I would do that and I would keep just telling myself if I stay with these guys I'm gonna make it. If I stay with these guys, I'm going to make it. And I had a whole bunch of support, and people run with me, and we kind of come down toll gate and uh, down that road and into Durban, and it's like three Ks to go. And I just now, now I'm saying, I've stayed with these guys. I'm going to make it. I'm like right here. I'm going to make it. It's three Ks to go. I'm going to make it. And then I hear the coach turn to the guy next to him and say, we're not going to make it. And I'm like, this is brutal. And I think I got, I, ju- I just got a little bit more, I'm going to go. And so I set out on a full sprint, which probably looks like a semi-half jog at that pace, but <laughs> it's a full sprint to me nevertheless. And I give it everything I got. And um, Andrew, um, who came alongside me, they, if you're looking for a job, cheerleading. This guy came alongside me, man. He gave me everything I needed. He was like, come on, my boy. You got it. You got everything in you. You're running like an athlete out here. Come on, go. You got it, my boy. Go, Jesus. I know you're going to make it. And I'm like full sprint trying to do the best I can. And I come running up to the stadium, into the stadium, onto that kind of concrete under the stadium bridge corridor, and I hear 10, 9, onto the grass on 8, 7, and I'm like, I'm not Usain Bolt. <laughs> and I'm on the grass, 7654321. And um, I think a day or two later, a friend of mine, Ryan, sends me this video that you'll see on the screen. Oh, there's Colin. Oh, Colin. Sorry, bud. Sorry. But- Brutal. Brutal. Um, they, they could choose happier music for those who are coming in, like, hey, like, but brutal. I mean, like, things that, like, that's the stuff that wakes you up at, like, 2 in the morning and, like, why did I wee, like. I mean, really, like, the the disappointment that I I felt lying on that grass, and and to be honest, like, for the last couple of weeks, um, and uh, my wife actually asked me, she's like, should you be preaching on this? Like, is it not a little too raw? And I'm like, it probably is, but here we are. Um, Talking about my wife, actually, we're talking about, like, what to call this particular sermon. We're chatting as our staff and pastors, and everyone's kind of trying to come up with a name, and my wife just pops up, why don't you call it Minute to Win It? brutal. The horror show continues. I want to talk for a moment, if I can, about disappointment and how that falls into your theology. How does disappointment find its way a part of your faith? I think it's really important to talk about disappointment because I've seen people walk away from God, disown their faith because of certain disappointments, and if we don't find space within our theology, within our faith for disappointment, it could have grave implications. And so, quick disclaimer, I know that my disappointment of the comrades is just a race. Like it really, and I mean, it's just, it's just a run. Like it really doesn't matter in comparison to some of the disappointments that some of you have faced in the room. But perhaps... Perhaps some of the lessons that I've learned and some of the um, insights that I can share with you today will be able to translate. But I know that for some of you, there are far bigger disappointments than my run. Some of you have got broken families and failed marriages and lost jobs, declining health, heartache, loss of loved ones. And for much of us, that disappointment, it's like, man. Where, wherever that failure found itself, some kind of failure allowed you to feel disappointed. Perhaps it was in yourself, and you're just looking, at, I just can't believe that I can mess up that badly. For some of us, it's others that were disappointed in those, particularly those that we love or once loved. Well, how does somebody so close hurt us so badly? For many of us, to be honest, we're disappointed in God. I'll be honest with you, like, like two or three days afterwards, I was, I was like really cross at God. I mean, it's, it, again, it's just the, it doesn't really matter. But like I, I remember praying through that whole race and going, God, you got to just help me. Here. Like I am so sore. I am so, come on, I know that you can carry me. I know your grace. I know your, and like I thought I was going over that line right until I heard the 10, nine, and for some of you, you've been disappointed in God for a long time. And today, I hope that we're going to be able to unpack some of that and go, where does disappointment sit in our faith and in our theology? Now, I know for many of you, you've said things like, God, I just, man, I just feel so let down. I feel so betrayed. I, I feel like I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that diagnosis. I didn't deserve that divorce. I didn't deserve that bad news. I didn't deserve that retrenchment, that accusation, that fallout, and much of the time we left standing in utter shock. What you didn't see in that video was just before that, because he caught me at about a minute, just before that, like I just, hands on my knees, looking at the end line, going like, I actually can't can't believe this. I've run for 12 hours. I I actually, I can't believe that I failed. I am so disappointed to, to, to finish the last 200 meters was actually extremely difficult and that little trot at the end was just because of the way my family have raised me and the way this church has raised me to say you just you just finish strong call you just trot along and you you, you don't give up you but but like she so i like i was like cross at god like for two or three days and, and god i don't understand like you were meant to come through for me like isn't that the deal god Like, I do my best and you do the rest? Like, where were you? It's not a difficult thing for you to do. Many of us, when we're in this utter shock and, like, I just can't believe this has happened, feel these feelings of embarrassment and shame and anger. Some of us are so tired and traumatized by that disappointment. Disappointment. Some of us were fearful, or we just get stuck. We go, God, I just it's not right, and it's not fair, and it's not just that these things have happened. And let me just hit the pause button. Because some of our theology and the way that we deal with disappointment needs to be put through a biblical view. Because the problem is, we live in a success culture that idolizes victory and fulfillment. We do we live in a success culture that has idolized victory and fulfillment but when we turn to the Bible we're given this deep dose of reality failure and disappointment are on just about every page of the Bible now I'm not telling you to aim not not to aim high aim high by all means but we have to put as part of our we have to recognize that no one escapes failure and no one escapes disappointment. So we might as well plan on it and prepare for it with a view of profiting from it. See, if, 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 we, if we don't... See, so you're like, I'm, I'm not... No ways. I'm not planning for disappointment. I'm not planning for failure. The problem is, if you don't... If it's not part of your, your faith thinking, then when it comes, it can derail, derail you. So we're going to plan for it. And then we got to start to think, well, how can I actually profit from this? And I'd like to suggest that in my small couple weeks of trying to diagnose this disappointment, this is how I see, in my life, more than just the ultimate human race, how I see disappointment take its path. It looks something like this. Disappointment leads to disillusionment, where you just go, what's the point? Honestly, what's the point? What's the point in caring? What's the point in trying? Despair starts to set in. From this disillusionment, we see disengagement. So you pull away from people. You pull away from things. Sometimes that disengagement is a disconnection from God. Oh God, I've been let down by you, so I'm gonna disengage from spending time with you, from going to church, from... And that disengagement leads to depression. And that could be mild depression, And I think that for many of us, because of the onslaught of disappointments that's happened over the last couple of years, there's this mild depression. You know what that depression is? That depression is you're just like, you're so jarred that you're just like, I'm not gonna try anything. I don't have anything to get up and go, I got no drive, I got no dream, and from that depression comes death. And that can be a physical death, but it can be a a spiritual death. But for many of us, it's just a death to the things, the destiny that God has placed within us. Disappointment has, it seems so small and insignificant, but the fruit of disappointment, if we leave it unto itself, if we don't have a position for it within our faith, death is the end result. And none of us want that for our destinies. See, disappointment tries to define us. It tells us that that moment is who we are. And if the devil can define us with disappointment, then he can defeat us. Comments like, you're never gonna be good enough. I'm not gonna make it. I can't make it. It won't work. It always turns out bad. We're never gonna recover. That's just how it is. How many of us are going, well, is what it is. friend, I want to tell you today, you are not a victim of your circumstance. You are not a victim of your circumstance. Some of us need to make a decision today to get out of survival mode. Yes, a lot has happened in the last three years. Do you know what? The next decade, a lot more is going to happen. We cannot sit in survival mode. We cannot be a victim of our circumstance we cannot let disappointment take root and end in death when there's a destiny that God has got over you and so for all of us we need to recognize that disappointment is inevitable but it doesn't have to distract defeat or destroy us disappointment is inevitable but it doesn't have to distract defeat or destroy us I believe that disappointment is an assignment from hell to get you stuck to get you to quit and to get you to give up I also believe that the antidote to disappointment is to dream again and I'm gonna I'm gonna spend the next 15 minutes proving to you how important it is to dream again how important it is in your faith to believe God for the best Proverbs 29 verse 18 says it like this, where there's no vision, my people perish. Where there's no vision, my people die. That word vision, it's a Greek word, it's a Hebrew word called korzoni, and it means to dream or to have revelation or to have vision. You see, if you don't have dream, if you don't have hope in your heart, you can have no vision for your life. And so if you've got no dream, if you've got no drive, if you've got no desire, if you've got no aspirations, if you've got no hope, if you've got no vision for the future, you will be dying. Disappointment, disillusionment, disengagement, depression, and death, many of us are like walking dead. No life, no drive, no desire, because we've let that disappointment win in many ways. So let's talk about the word dream just for a moment. Because I really believe it's the antidote to disappointment. That word dream, it's an interesting one. It's a word chalam, spelled C-H-A-L-A-M. And theologians and biblical scholars have a difficult time knowing which word is the correct word to put in the text into English. I didn't know this before I studied this. There's two words, or there's two definitions for chalam. Literally, they have to look at the text and go, what are you saying here, God? The one, chalam, means to dream. The other definition means to be strong and healthy. Both the same root word. Theologians and scholars have to try and figure out, is God saying dream here, or is he saying strength and health? Do you recognize that when you and I dream, strength and health return to our bodies? Do you realize that when we let disappointment and disillusionment and disengagement and depression, we end in death? But when we begin to believe again, when we begin to dream again, when we let hope get on the inside, strength and health return to our bodies. And you can see it, I can see it, when death starts to take place in our physical bodies, in our minds, in our souls, in our spirits. And so some of us need to make a conscious decision today. I will dream again If the devil can cause you to uh, if the devil can use disappointment to stop you from dreaming you start dying There's a very interesting account in The scriptures about a guy named Terah. you may you may have never heard of him He was father Abraham, you know father Abraham he was father Abraham's father and God gave him an assignment said I need you to leave your home country and I need you to go to the Ur of Chaldeans. I'm going to put it up on a map and show you here. So there they are, and they need to get across and down to the other side. That's what God's asked him to do. That's the destiny that he wants him to fulfill. He stops halfway in a place called Haran. You can see it right up top. Might mean absolutely nothing to you. It meant everything to Abraham's father, Terah, because he had three kids. One of them was named Haran. Haran died. So for Terah, he ended up camping in his disappointments. And that disappointment led to death, not just the death of his son, but the death of his destiny. Now, I don't mean to belittle in any way losing a child. I just want to use this imagery to show you that God's got a destiny. God wants to use you. But if you end up camping out in your disappointment, you will not go into the thing that God has asked you to go into. So let me ask you some questions today around disappointment. The first is, where have you camped out in disillusionment? Where has the devil paralyzed you with disappointment? Where have you disengaged? And friend, where have you stopped Dreaming. Some of us have thought, perhaps we haven't said it, but we've thought things like, "Um, I'm just never going to have a happy marriage. You've stopped dreaming. You've camped out in disappointments. Some of you is like, I'll never get that breakthrough. It's never going to happen. Never going to get through that breakthrough in work. I'm never going to get... Some of you, it's like, I won't find, I'm never going to find the right one. I thought I was going to be married by 25 and I'm I'm never going to find the right one. Some of you, I I won't ever get out of debt. It's just too much. I won't ever be able to. I'll always be overlooked. I won't ever overcome this depression or this addiction or this failure or this area of sin. And what you've done, friend, is you've camped In that disillusionment, you've camped in that area of disappointment and you know what you've allowed the devil to do? You've allowed him to use your disappointment and define you by it. You, friend, are not defined by your mistakes or your failures or the things that have let you down. You are defined by God who says that you are more than a conqueror, that says his grace is enough, that says you're the head and not the tail, that you're above and not beneath, that everything you need for life and godliness is given to you in Christ Jesus. Is, but i ask this question, like, where have I stopped dreaming? Because Ephesians 3.20, one of my favorite verses up in our home, it says this, God can do anything, you know. Some of you look, not in my marriage, not in my life. I've tried. It's just led to disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. I'm sorry about your disappointment, friend. Don't camp there. Get up. Go again. Dream again. Because Ephesians 3.20 says, God can do anything, you know, far more, listen to what it says, than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. What, what are your wildest dreams? Seriously, what are your wildest dreams? Well, Zach, oh, that's not reality, Cole. It's not what it is. All right, friend. Well, as long as you choose reality as your faith story instead of your wildest dreams, as long as you camp in disillusionment and disappointment and depression, I know for me, my household, we're going to choose to dream and dream again and dream again and get up and in the the midst of failure and disappointment, we're going to dream. Because if I stop dreaming, strength and health are drained from my body and destiny ends in death. God says greater than your wildest dreams he goes on to say he does it by not by pushing us around but by working within us his spirit deeply and gently within us allow the holy spirit to get you to dream again he is the dreamer if you spend time in his presence he will birth dreams in your heart for your family for your future for your business for your ministry for your calling he will birth. The very definition of our faith in Hebrews 11, i have popped the two words dream in there because I just feel like they, they could be, but the scriptures go, faith is being sure of what you hope for. i put the word dream in there because I don't think that you can hope unless you're dreaming. And certain of what you do not see. That's faith. Our faith journey has to have dream. It has to have hope and desire. Faith is about your future. Faith always looks forward, fear always looks back. And faith is synonymous with the word movement. And disillusionment and disappointment get you stuck. I can't, I'm not gonna try that again. It was too hard, it was too embarrassing, it was too much shame, there's too much doubt, gets you stuck, but faith says keep moving. There are things about your future I really want you to hear this today. There are things about your future that terrify the devil so much that he puts disappointment in your path, getting you to doubt the dream. He's like, it is so terrifying what this group of people could do. Let me see if I can disappoint, disappoint them, get their heads down, get them quitting, get them stuck. There's a great account in the scripture about Abraham's life. Um, There are many accounts of disappointment as you read the text. But Abraham and his wife Sarah are believing God for a child. And they end up waiting 40 years. Sometimes when we read the Bible, it's like one verse and we move on. But imagine 40 years. I I can just imagine talking to my wife for 40 years. I can imagine Christmas after Christmas. I can imagine the tears. I can imagine running out of things to say to her, to encourage her. I can imagine being frustrated at God. I can can imagine going like, geez, maybe it's not going to happen. For 40 years, he holds on to the promise of God. And we read this particular passage. It's four verses in in Romans chapter 4, verse 18 to 21. And it starts like this. It says, against all hope. I love the backdrop. It's like, I don't want to mince my words. Against all hope, like when it's, it's over. Like there is no hope. They're at the end of themselves. They are bitterly disappointed. They don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. That's the backdrop for the account we read here. Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. You know how he was able to hope against all hope? Because of what had been said to him. Friends, you know what's really important for you and I when it comes to disappointment? You and I need to get a word from God. You need to go and get your own word from God. Not your pastors, not your parents, not your friends. You need to go and sit at the feet of God and say, God, I need a word. You need to speak to me. And when you speak to me, I'm gonna hold on to that word. And that's what's gonna produce hope. Not my own mustering up of some kind of faith. It's not like a jolly extroverted, hey, look at that guy, he's so hopeful. No, it's something where you go, God, you said it. I'm gonna hold on to that thing. It goes on to say this. It says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was dead. It's like, Sarah's 100, her womb's 100, I'm 100, nothing's working. It's, It's like impossible. You know what I love about this particular text? It says he faced the facts. He, he didn't shy away from the fact that like there they they were 100, they were extremely disappointed. This wasn't working how they had thought. Wasn't the plan that they had. Church, the plan they had was 40 years ago. But they faced the facts. See, I think sometimes when it comes to disappointment and our faith, somehow... I think that we've created this theology that we need to ignore the facts. Like, God, like it doesn't hurt. No, it hurts. Like you're not disappointed. No, I'm deeply disappointed. God, I, I, I don't understand. I'm frustrated. I'm mad. There's, there's, I, I don't get it. He faced the facts. But then, you know, he did one further. He faced the facts. See, I see those facts. It looks jolly impossible. But God gave me a word. You, let me just say this, church. You are not more holy if you ignore the facts. Somehow we've made this idea of like, how's everything going? And things are not going right. And you're like, I'm blessed and highly favored. No, friend, right now I'm trusting God for a baby for 40 years. We're on year 39 and nothing's happened. And I'm feeling shame and anger and embarrassment and disappointment. And I don't get it. I don't have the answers. And it doesn't make sense to me. I wouldn't have done it like this if I was God. That's how I'm feeling right now. But he gave me a word. So i hold on to that. Faith the facts while I face the facts. Goes on to say this. Goes on to say this, and we're coming into land. It says, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. He held on to the promises, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. I always find it um, encouraging. To watch people's lives that haven't they're holding the promise they haven't received it but they still give glory to god we as faith people need to learn that god deserves the glory when he comes through for us and he deserves the glory when he hasn't yet come through for us that's our faith my god is my god and he's my god and he deserves praise and he will always deserve praise regardless of the circumstances that are going on that is part of our disillusionment disappointment theology i'm so disappointed jesus you are still God. You're still seated on the throne. I love you. You're worthy of my praise. And it ends by saying this It says that being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Fully persuaded that God had the power to do. Not my own power, not my own strength. With somebody this last week that says, like, he often, you know, he'll pray a prayer. Say, so God, i leave it in your hands and then he'll just come alongside and try and help God out. God, you have the power. It's impossible. You're the one who can do it. So how do we do this, friends? How do we be like Abraham? Not die in disappointment, have this unwavering faith and dream again. Well, I think your disappointment should provoke two actions. We've spoken about them all the way through. Two actions, to lament and look up. To lament and look up. The psalmists give us this great insight into how to lament and look up. The word lament means to give a faith-filled complaint to God. A faith-filled complaint to God. The preacher of Ecclesiastes teaches us to lament our disappointment. The psalmist often writes things that can be paraphrased like, God, I'm not handling this well. This is not what I asked for. Expressing our disappointment to God is the opposite of harboring them in our souls. Many people think it's more holy not to be disappointed. Church, God did not make us humans and then ask us not to be human. He created us human with our emotions and our feelings and understanding that there are gonna be times where we're bitterly disappointed to hold them and not to express them in a lamentation to God going, God, I just don't get it, is deeply, deeply spiritual. We are meant to lament, and when we do, it's a way of releasing our expectations to God, trusting Him to restore the situation according to His wisdom and His timing. And I believe only when you truly lament are you able to look up. Many of us want to look up quickly because we feel like it's the right thing to do. We, we quickly, people want to go, Romans eight twenty eight. God turns all things to good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I know, but I'm one minute late. How's he gonna do it? You, yeah, 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 you take the mic. Tell me how you go to Romans 8, 28, my comrades. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 can't, we can't jump quickly to theory, friends. Disappointment is a great connection between us and God. It gets us connecting with God rather than distancing ourselves. It gets us going to him as our dad. And then when we're able to lament, we're able to look up. And the Psalms give us some very clear, easy guidelines, or blueprints, how to look up. I'll give them to you very quickly. Number one, God, this is who you are. Number two, God, this is who I am. Number three, God, these are your promises for me and over me. And number four, now I'll lift my voice and praise for you are my God. Number one, God, this is who you are. Number two, God, this is who I am. I will not be defined by my disappointment. God, these are your promises and they still your promises for me and over me. Now I will lift my voice and praise you for you are still my God. And so to tie in the minute to win it. Chatting with Hiltz in the week, we thought what would be hopefully quite powerful and freeing for some of you in the room who've held on to disappointment, who've let disappointment define you, who've allowed the diagnosis of disappointment where there's disappointment and then disillusionment and then disengagement then depression and death some of you sitting in the room today to go like, man, I need to pray a prayer. I believe you can pray a prayer for a minute. That could change your whole lives. A minute to win it. Now you might need to pray this prayer once today. You may need to pray it for the next 30 days. I don't know. All I know is disappointment cannot be the place you camp. And you need to release it to God. I believe there's going to be such freedom today to say, God, I don't, I, don't, I don't understand. It's not the way I would have written the script. But I'm going to release that anger and that frustration. I'm going to release that pain and that offense. So I've written a simple prayer for us today. I'm going to pop it up on the screens. I'll give you a mo- moment in silence just to read through it. And then we're going to stand as a church together and we're going to pray this prayer together. And I believe you're going to see such victory as you begin to dream again. You know, church, the, we lament, and then we look up. Psalm 121 paraphrase says it like this. Look up. Where does your help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Other Psalms say, lift up your head. Others say, lift up your eyes. It's so all the way through the text with this lamentation. I think for many of us, we just got our heads down. We're looking at the finish line that we thought was so within our reach. And I think Jesus today can get some of us looking up. My help comes from the Maker of heaven and earth. Is there anything too hard for my God? Any marriage? Any failure? any addiction any depression so if you would would you stand to your feet we're going to pray this together you can pray it with me we're going to pray it at the same time let's go together father in heaven i come uh, i was trying to figure out how to do this moment okay you repeat after me maybe that'll be a bit easier father in heaven I come before you with a heart weighed down by disappointments. Life hasn't turned out like I expected it. I feel let down, like I've been failed in some way. I don't know what to do with these disappointments. Part of me wants to complain. Part of me wants to give up in despair. And part of me wonders, why do I even bother? But today, God, I choose to let these disappointments go, to release them to you. I will not be defined by my disappointments, nor will I hold on to them. I repent where these disappointments have caused me to harbor. Anger, offence, hatred in my heart towards you, others, or myself. Help me today to release them over to you. Today I look up. Today I recognize where my help comes from. Today I choose to dream again. Thank you as I dream again Health and strength will return to my body and mind. Thank you that anything is possible with you and that you are able to do more than I could ask, think, or imagine. Father, thank you for what you're doing in hearts today. God, your word in Ephesians 3.20 says, that you can do more than we could ask, think, or imagine according to our wildest dreams. But you don't do it by pushing us around. You do it gently through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit, right now, thank you that you are breathing life, that you are breathing health and strength and dream into people's hearts. And we thank you, God,